and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher about common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. Each week, medical students will be joining paediatric doctors from Wales to discuss these common paediatric conditions and give them insights into paediatric problems that they may not have faced before. These episodes are just introductions and aren't meant to replace your regular revision. Remember, there will be some regional variations in practice and practice will change as new evidence comes to light. However, this is paediatrics made easy to help students get their head around some new concepts. This week, we're going to continue our episode on celiac disease. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's probably worth going back to listen to that first. As a reminder, Dragon Bites Basics host and medical student at Swansea University, Emily Jenkinson, was talking about celiac disease with a paediatric registrar with an interest in gastroenterology, Dr. Bethana Buzakuk. So, let's get started. All right. So, um, I think to say, what do you do next, really, isn't it? So, you've examined them. And you're starting to think there is something gastrointestinal related causing him to not grow. You've already picked up on that they have a bit of diarrhea, they have a bit of abdominal distension, um, and um, and then you want to examine them. And your examination will be, as all children we see, is a general examination, and then you focus on the area that you want to examine, that you think is the problem is coming from, basically. So you'll do a general examination, as we mentioned earlier, making sure the child is not pale, uh, making sure there's no evidence of any lesions in the mouth. Uh, making sure there's no lymph nodes because a child who's pale and not very well and not growing could be something totally different. Um, you listen to their chest, you examine their hearts, and then you feel their tummies. Um, and on feeling their tummies, you want to get an idea of like if there's any pain or any tenderness, um, if the tummy is distended at all when you see them, and actually if you can feel any lumps or masses. Um, and a lot of the time, I think with celiac, you don't you don't see very much. So although even the tummy is a bit full. It's a full but soft, so it's not showing that they're blocked or anything. And actually, when you see them in a random time of the day, they don't have any tummy aches. But you've kind of formulated a bit of a picture, and then you probably need to go to the next step of investigating them, really. So um, in terms of investigations, I think um, a really important point to say is that you, we do blood tests to start with. Um, and your blood tests are not just going to be tailored to, I want to pick up that this child has got celiac or not. You want to do blood tests in general to sort of understand their well-being and see what their nutrient levels are. So you're going to do a full blood count to pick up if they're anemic or not. Um, you would also want to do a film on lots of these just to make sure there's nothing else causing the anemia if it comes to light. Um, you also want to look at um, their liver function because you could have a child that presents with only abnormal liver enzymes or transaminases with not a lot of symptoms. Um, you will also want to um, look at their um, their bone profile. So you want to check their calcium levels. You want to check their vitamin sort of profile. So your vitamins as in vitamin D, your B12, your folate. Um, and then you want to very specifically test them for celiac. Um, and um, a lot of us, when we request it, we just put down CX screen, CX test, and the lab knows what they're testing for. But really, realistically, what we are testing for is that immunology that immunological problem that's happening, you want to see these antibodies. So you test for something called um, IgA anti-TTG. So uh, IgA anti-tissue trans, 
taminase. Um, and you basically, once you test for that, you have to be very specific because you need to make sure there's enough immunoglobulin A in the body to actually mount this response. Um, and um, in some labs, they actually say, do an immunology screen in, in general. So you basically test for your immunoglobulins to start with, and then you test for your uh, CX screen. Uh, and it's purely because um, you don't want to end up with a low immunoglobulin A, which is what we see. And it's actually associated with some cases of celiac for an unknown cause. Um, but you want to make sure that your number or your result that you get means something, basically. Um, children who come back with a celiac screen, so your numbers vary from lab to lab. Um, and you could have a number that's elevated um, and it's mildly elevated. And in some of these children, we actually retest it again to see if this is persistent. And you have children sometimes that you test it and you get a tenfold increase in the number in comparison with the normal range. And the labs vary um, um, in what their normal range is. And if you see a tenfold increase, then it's likely to be celiac until proven otherwise. Um, but I think the issue we get sometimes is with the number that's very mildly elevated um, and then it's it's close, it's still within a normal range, but in a higher limit of normal, and how every, uh, different clinicians interpret that results. Um, the reason why I'm saying this is because actually testing for CDIC, the important thing to remember is that you have to have a child who's been exposed to gluten. And we'll come to that when we say how we treat it. And the reason for this is because all these changes and all these numbers change as soon as the gluten is not in the body and oh, there's no exposure anymore. So a lot of the time, if the GPs see these children and think about CDIC because they do appropriately and test them. Um, what we tell them very specifically or refer them to be tested, we say, please make sure this family that keeps the child on a gluten containing diet until we see them. Um, and the reason for this is because people go and read and then realize, actually, if I cut off bread and if I cut off lots of wheat, the kid is going to be better. And in general, I think all of us it's a healthy style, isn't it? So if you think about it, and if, all of us, if we cut off a bit of our gluten and we don't have a heavy gluten sort of containing diet, we will feel a lot better. We'll be less bloated. We'll be more comfortable. Um, and a lot of the time, it's very important to mention that because you might see a child on a background that they've already excluded gluten from their diet and then you're trying to test them and you actually don't get anywhere because the results will be normal, even though the child might still have celiac disease. Okay, so in a GP, when you are thinking about celiac disease you want to make sure that despite that's what you're thinking of you want to make sure that they're still maintaining absolutely. their normal pre-test diet and pre-diagnosis diet absolutely so until they actually get a confirmation of celiac they should okay. remain on a gluten containing diet yeah and it's easier said than done because once the child feels better it's very hard to convince a family to go back and give their kid the diet that was causing them to have yeah. symptoms but it's very important otherwise you don't reach the diagnosis um and i think for reaching a diagnosis, it's not just reaching it because you can actually argue and say, just removing gluten from a diet is going to make them better. Why do you want to know it is celiac? And it's very important because of later on monitoring. And if you're going to label them with CDCs, you need to make sure that it's definitely diagnosis before you do so. Okay, so now we've got the diagnosis for this guy. So what, what would be the, I suppose, ongoing monitoring and management of yeah. the patient? So just to, just to confirm, so if, we, if you do the blood test, that's your first step. Um, and then also to confirm the diagnosis and the guidelines vary. So if you have very high levels of um, IgA anti-TTG, um, then and I'm talking about increase more than tenfold increase. Um, there is some guidelines that say you can say they have got celiac, but really uh, the diagnostic criteria is a blood test, a celiac screen and a confirmation with duodenal biopsies. So it's very important okay. that they get an endoscopy 
um, and you take some samples from your small bowel, sorry, from your various parts of your duodenum, um, and you actually look at it to see if there's any changes suggestive of destruction because of this immunological condition. So uh, what you see in these kids is um, you see um, they either have atrophy of their villi or you have some crypts that are very hyper, hyper hyperplasia of crypts with infiltration with lymphocytes. So a suggestion of basically um, an inflammatory change in these in these in these areas. Uh, and it's again, as we said about the blood test, the same thing applies. Um, once you've taken gluten out of the picture, although it takes a bit longer for your biopsy to look normal again. But realistically, if you are not exposed to gluten for a period of time, there's a chance that your biopsy will look normal even when it's not. Okay, so for the full diagnosis, you need the blood test and the endoscopy with the biopsy. Absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so let's say we've managed to diagnose this child and and now we know he has got celiac disease. So um, uh, I think pre-COVID, we will bring them to clinic. Uh, Post-COVID, I think some of these will be disclosed over the phone. I think by the time you've gone down doing an endoscopy and biopsies, you're already telling them this looks like I'm looking for celiac. So when you phone them to give them results, you can actually tell them over the phone, yes, we have confirmed the diagnosis of celiac disease. Um, and the treatment really is, as we mentioned earlier, is that excluding gluten from your diet. So a big part, so part of your management is, um, the or the main sort of corner of treatment is to um, remove gluten totally from your diet. Um, the next step is to actually make sure your micronutrients are met. So if they need supplements in terms of vitamins and um, in terms of calcium, and that's very important. Um, and also um, your next step is to monitor them afterwards. And um, excluding gluten from a diet is, again, easier said than done. So it gets done in a very specific clinic. So uh, the clinic um, is run by um, experienced dietitians um, who've got an interest in celiac disease. Um, and it's very, um, and then also they need to have gluten-free food um, prescribed for them. So it's a prescription that you get from the GP. You get a loaf of bread. You get this variation of, um, of certain types of food. So you get the basics. And then if you want to explore them or get them to eat different variants of it, so different types of cakes and biscuits and all the rest of it, it's very important that they are all gluten-free uh, types of food. It's also very important to remember that that doesn't just happen at home. So when they go out and about, the same thing has to happen. Um, and so the child that we mentioned who's in nursery, the nursery needs to know about it as well. And he needs to remain on a gluten-free diet wherever he goes. And also it's really important to remember about the cross-contamination. So uh, for example, they have um, uh, they will have a piece of uh, toast with bread on top, but they need to have their own, either their own bread, butter, uh, to use as spread, so they don't use the butter that the rest of the family are using, because just introducing a knife with crumbs of bread, if it's gluten-containing, could actually provoke symptoms. So it has to be quite strict in terms of what you're giving them. And in the small, it's it's actually a life change um, thing to do. It seems easy, isn't it? It seems when you say, oh, just give them gluten-free diets, it's easier than saying give them this medicine or give them this with side effects. But actually, it's very hard to adhere to. And we do see children who actually um, don't adhere to it as much as they should. Um, and or also will be doing absolutely fine until they get to a teenage group. And then when they go out and they're out with their friends, they'll end up sneaking um, a McDonald's because they want to eat everybody else. So it's really important to make sure that they understand that um, removing the diet, the gluten from the diet is your treatment. If anything, once you remove the gluten from your diet, your blood tests improve almost immediately and your biopsy improves within months. So it's quite fascinating how you can reverse all the changes that you saw when you diagnose them. And they feel better. 
um, apart from very few refractory cases that don't respond. And there are a very small minority of them and they and, and it's a different sort of sort of matter. The majority of them respond well. So up to 90% of they adhere to a gluten-free diet and do extremely well. So it's very important to explain to them that um, this is what you need to do. And actually, we can actually pick up on the children who have not been compliant. So if you go back and you do a CDIC screen, a blood test, you will see that their numbers are still high when they when it should have come down back to normal. So they can't hide from the blood test yeah, then, really. They can't, they <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's one thing in terms of treatment, as we said. So they get treated as a gluten-free diet. They get dietitian input, uh, which is a lot of good support, actually. Um, they get uh, signposted to uh, UK, so very specific websites. You get uh, um, lots of deals, so there's lots of um, free options. There's lots of um, there's cookbooks of sort of what sort of diets, giving them ideas of meals to make. Um, and it's a very it's a very good sort of supportive group, and it's and it's nice to direct them to it as well. And um, I think it's it's one of those um, conditions that. You can go on and do and live a normal life with not an issue at all, uh, but it's very important that reaching a diagnosis is a good milestone to it. So once you know what it is, it's it's easier to deal with it and opposite to trying to tease out what do they actually have celiac or actually you're not thinking about it. Sometimes we see children who are a lot older and if you go through the story, they've had symptoms all a lot all their life, but you don't pick it up until later on. Yeah. Um, the terms of the follow up as well, they get followed up very closely initially. This is in terms of children. So I think they have a three, three months, six months, and then a year follow up to start with. And then actually, if they're doing well, they end up being having annual reviews. And then as adults, really, they go to two annual reviews. And actually, their follow ups doesn't have to be with a gastroenterologist and a specific dietitian. Once everything is established, it will be a follow up with the GP uh, more than anything else. Okay, brilliant. So I think I think we're coming towards the end yeah. um, of this podcast. But just just to I suppose o- give an overview for t- myself and the listeners, what would be the top tips to take away from? Yeah. So uh, I think um, the top tips really are if you are seeing a child uh, with um, it doesn't have to be a very specific abdominal sort of or gastrointestinal symptom. So think about celiac if you're seeing a child who has got iron deficiency anemia. Think about celiac if you're seeing a child who has got poor growth. Uh, think about the older child who comes with weight loss um, also in older child, I think I should have mentioned this earlier you can have children for example girls that come in who have not started their periods so very important to think about not reaching puberty could be the sign of it thinking about it in the child who's got just a few sort of upper GI symptoms so just a bit of what sounds like an element of reflux thinking about it with children who've got fatigue um, and then some more classical pictures if they have very extensive specific rashes um, um, called dermatitis herbiform. So um, I think just thinking that there's a wide range that could present with all sorts. And if you think about the concept of doing a blood test, because if your blood test is normal, um, then they they don't have celiac. So actually doing that blood test, putting in mind they're on a gluten-containing diet is actually excluding the illness. So it's an easy one to exclude. And it's always worth having it in the back of your mind and thinking about it. And I think a lot of the GPs are good at remembering it. So when you see a child in clinic, for whatever reason, the CX screen is one of the first blood tests that gets done along with your basic baseline bloods, actually. Um, and also remembering that the follow-up is not very often and it involves a lot of um, compliance from the family. And actually, it's, an, it's a condition that you can live a long, healthy life with without any issues. And your risks of, for example, I think the population will say, um, you actually follow them up because of the very small risks of malignancies. So you've got risks of intestinal and extraintestinal lymphomas, 
risk of some of other GI uh, malignancies. But actually, once you've treated it and you're compliant and your numbers have gone back to normal and your biopsies look good, your, ch your chances are not any higher than the rest of the population. But it's always worth, it's one of the things that we mention when we diagnose so that they understand that it's not just about, I don't want you to have tummy aches. It's an understanding that the implications if you don't treat it or you don't comply later on in life. Okay, brilliant. I think that's uh, fantastic. I think we all know a lot more about celiac now. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. And see you, see you next time. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. And I just wanted to say thank you again to both Emily and Bethana for recording that episode for us. Join us again next week for another episode of Dragon Bikes Basics.